But today we are concluding this series on David. We've been spending the last several weeks studying the different parts of his life and, and seeing, again, how he truly had a heart after God um, and he led Israel in such a strong way. Um, but again, through that, we've seen all these different parts of his life and realizing again, that David wasn't perfect. And we, we saw that, you know, throughout this, that even the strong fall and, again, even through his weakest times, we see how, again, his heart truly was uh, refocused back on God. But our theme verse for this series has been Acts 13.22 that gives us David's biblical reputation, where it says, but God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and he will do everything I want him to do. We see again that, that Saul was the first earthly king of Israel, that God raised up him and and gave Israel an earthly king, and then Saul, though, started out really well, but he drifted away from what God wanted and, and, and led the nation down the wrong path, and so God removed him and replaced him with David uh, because God looked at David's heart and said, he will follow me, and he will not stray, at least too far. Again, as we've seen, he was not perfect, as we saw as we studied through his life. Um, but today, as we kind of wrap this up, our actual base text for today is going to go backwards a little bit in 2 Samuel. You'll see uh, we're going to be reading from 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, verses 1 through 17. And so that is our text for today. Uh, but before we go to that, we're going to see here, this passage is a great summary of David's life. And so uh, that's why we are going backwards a little bit as far as the succession of Scripture. But uh, th this passage will serve us well today um, as we wrap up David's life. Um, but we will see kind of the theme of today as we... As we see David, even as it reflects back on his life and on his leadership and everything that he did, was David had certain ideas and desires that he wanted for the nation, that he wanted for himself, and yet we'll see today that God's instructions did not always fall in line with David's ideas. Okay? And yet he was able to, to follow God's instructions, even when it wasn't exactly what David had hoped for. Um, so as we look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, I invite you to open your Bibles with me. Uh, to, to 2 Samuel 7, we're going to read 1 through 17. If you have your own Bible, you can open up and follow along. If you don't have your own Bible with you uh, today or don't have your own Bible, there are Bibles available for you. In the seat pockets, you're, you're welcome to use. And you'll notice on the outline is the page numbers where you can find this passage in those Bibles. Um, but before we read, um, I just want to say this passage, 2 Samuel 7, verses 1 through 17, um, has become a traditional and theological building block in God's overall story of redemption. So when we look at the, 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 whole, the biblical narrative as a whole, we look as we see that the Bible starts in Genesis, right, with God's unhindered presence with Adam and Eve, right? And then, and then sin enters the world, and they fall. And, and then from that point, right, we have the whole biblical story until we get to the end, at the end of Revelation, where we end with the new heaven and new earth. And once again, we have God's unhindered presence with his creation and his people, right, in the new heaven and new earth. And everything between Genesis and Revelation is about God's plan to redeem all of us from our sin. And we see there's many different phases that we go through within, you know, within this plan. I mean, we have all of these, these big-time leaders that God raises up and through as he chose chooses this nation of Israel, and it starts with Abraham, right, as he creates this original covenant with Abraham, 
and we see Moses, right, and, and Joseph leads him to Egypt. Moses takes him out of Egypt, and then he hands it off to Jacob, and then Jacob hands it off, right, as they are in the promised land, and eventually they end up with Saul as their as the leader, and they end up with David, and yet that succession continues down the line. Okay, when we look at this overall story of God's redemption in, Bible, in the Bible, this passage um, it becomes a very um, important one. Okay, and this particular passage is right in the middle of David's life, okay, and it is a very important stop on this journey and God's plan of redemption. As we wrap up our study on David's life, this passage is going to serve us well in summarizing his whole life and the overall, uh, and the whole overall series. So we're going to start reading this morning from 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting at verse 1. Okay, where it says, When King David was settled in this palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all surrounding enemies, the king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I am living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. And Nathan replied to the king, Go ahead and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the Lord said to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, This is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? Okay, we're going to pause right there um, as we see that David, um, again, has, has uh, settled into his role as king. Right? He's, he's followed God's leading and God's power, and, and he, he's led the nation through, through several battles. They've been victorious. They have God's blessing. The nation has expanded. The nation has grown, not just in physical um, boundaries, but also in wealth and in notoriety, and they become a world okay, And here David is now in the, in the palace and looking at everything that God has accomplished, and, and then he has this good idea, and this, this idea comes from good intention. Right? As he sits back and, and, and he sees all that God has done and, and how he's sitting in this, in this fancy palace, and yet God's presence and the Ark of the Covenant is still in a tent. Now, this is the same tent that, um, that what Moses was directed to by God to create, this tabernacle, while they wandered through the desert. And they, they carried the Ark of the Covenant, and it, it represented God's presence. They, and through their whole wanderings through the desert, and through the whole time of conquering the Promised Land, and then even all of the rules of the judges, and into Saul, and now into David, they, they had used this same tent with God's presence in it. And even now in this moment, as he's sitting in the holy city, David's like, God, I want to glorify you more than I want to glorify me. I'm in this permanent palace, and you're in a tent. I want to build you a temple. Okay, and he has this idea. Again, it comes from very good intention. He wants to glorify God more than himself. So he, he gets Nathan, a prophet, to come, and he presents his idea. And notice Nathan sits back and was like, that sounds like a great idea. I think you should do it. Right? And he gets this initial blessing from Nathan. But then that night, God comes to Nathan and was like, hold on, time out. Right? This is a good idea, but that's not what you're going to do. That's not what I want David to accomplish. Right? And we see how, again, Nathan comes and he brings this um, back and he gets this answer from God. And so notice, again, David gives this idea, he has this intention, and then God responds to David's idea through Nathan by asking a question. And again, it's kind of a joke if you look at throughout Scripture and you think, how do you know that, that Jesus is really Messiah? Well, because he always answers your question with a question. Okay, and that's exactly what God does here. God 
responds to David with this question in verse 5. As he says, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? David's presented this idea, and now God's sit back and he gives him this question. And then God, through Nathan, that gives him this message, and God answers his own question. He presents this back to David, and he, he answers it in a three-phase answer. Okay, so now we see this, and God now um, tells David what his life is really going to be about, and, and whether he's going to be the one to build a temple or not. And so we're going to um, see the first answer in verses 6 through 11. So we're going to pick up this story here in 2 Samuel 7, verse 6, when he says, I have never lived in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day. I've always moved from one place to another with a tent and a tabernacle as my dwelling. Yet no matter where I have gone with the Israelites, I have never once complained to Israel's tribal leaders, the shepherds of my people Israel. I've never asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? Now go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord of Heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth, and I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past, starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. And so we're going to pause there again as we look at this first answer that God gives in response to this question. Okay, first off, as we see, he starts off in these first few verses, in verses 6 and 7, and he says, hey, my dwelling has been in this tent for a long time. Okay, and God points out, right, that, that that's fine. God has no problem being in the tent. Okay, in fact, again, God directed Moses to build this tent, gave him very specific instructions. You can go back through Exodus and see and read. I mean, it goes on forever about specifically how to build this tent, right? And so God is, God's, but the, the, the key here is that the tabernacle and the ark represents God's presence. And God is telling David, he's like, no, my presence, my desire is to be present with my people, right? Wherever they go, I want to go with them. Right? And this tent represents, represents the fact that God is with his people, among his people. Again, what is this, the beginning and the end of the Bible is that God wants to be with us. Right? And this, the ark represents that. And so he's in a tent so he can move around. Again, he moved all the way through the desert. He went with them into every battle. In fact, they are supposed to take the ark of the covenant with them when they go into battle. Because it represents God's presence. Right? And as we know that, right, God says, like, I've never asked for a temple because I want to continue to go with you wherever you go. And so God says, I don't want a permanent dwelling. I want to stay in the tent. Right? And then God tells him the reason why he wants to stay in the tent in verses 8 through 11. Okay? And that's the first answer to this question. Because God is still moving. The job is not done. Hey, David's sitting back looking at this and be like, God, look at everything we've accomplished. Look how, how big the kingdom is. Look how wealthy we are. Look how much power we have in the world. Like, this is awesome. Right? And then God is saying, yes, you're right. We've made a lot of progress, but I'm not done working yet. There is more work to be done. 
And I will not be put into a permanent dwelling because I still have to move with you. The kingdom still needs to be built. It is not complete. And here, um, God is telling David, this is your role. Okay, your role is to establish the full kingdom. And there is more work to be done. The kingdom is not complete. Because again, they took the ark, God's presence, with them into every battle. And every victorious battle, they expanded the kingdom. Right? And God says, I need, still need to go with you. It is not done. And then we see, again, David's role as king was a king of war and of growing the kingdom. That was what God needed David to accomplish. And that was his role as king. And God is telling David, he's like, yes, we have come a long ways. We've accomplished a lot, but I am not done working. Even if you think we're done, I'm telling you, we are not done. Okay, and God is telling David, do not put me in that box. Right? According to your perspective, the kingdom is as big as it needs to be. But by you will not limit God's power or God's plan by defining in your own mind and in your own heart what it is we're going to accomplish. Right? And God is telling David, we have more to do. Do not limit me yet. Right? There is parts of my plan that you cannot see. Right? We have a lot more work to do. Okay, so that's the first answer. God is telling him, hey, I'm still moving. I'm not done. Right? There's more work to be done. Then we see the next answer as we continue through the story, picking up at the second part of verse 11. There it says, furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. Again, we see here God, God answers this again. Now, as David says, says, God, I want to make a house for you. And then God looks back at him and says, no, David, I will make your house. Right? And that's the second answer to the question, is that God tells David he said he takes David's idea and he flips it upside down. Right, your idea is you want to build me a house, and then God says, nope, I'm going to build your house. Right, because that is where I'm, that's what I'm doing now. I've got to build your house stronger before my house gets built. Right, and he takes David's idea and he completely flips it upside down. Right, as we know, and we know who this next person is, right? God tells David here, he's like, I'm going to raise up one of your sons. Right? And their role is going to be different than yours. Okay? Your role is to expand the kingdom, right? to be a king of war. Okay? His role is going to be completely different than yours. And we know, because right, we can fast forward through the story, that he's going to hand the throne over to Solomon. Okay? Remember, Solomon is the baby that was born from Bathsheba after David repents. Right? And again, Solomon was born through the purity and, and repentance right, of, of Bathsheba and David. Okay, that's who's going to take it from him. And Solomon's role as king was going to be a role of, of a king of peace and prosperity in a, an established kingdom. Right? And God's telling David, he's like, your role is to expand the kingdom and to, to be a king of war. Solomon's role will be a time of peace and prosperity in the established kingdom, and he will be the one that will build a temple. Not you. It will be him. Right, and God takes David's plans and he just flips them completely upside down. 
Right? And then at the, at, the, at the last part of verse 13, right, God says that he will secure his royal throne forever. Now again, we, again, we can fast forward through the story. We see the rest of the story in Scripture and know right, that Solomon eventually, right, is that David's uh, kingdom rule gets overthrown. Right? And Israel ends up in a divided kingdom where they have Israel and Judah. And then both of those divided kingdoms go, get conquered and go into exile. Okay, and during that time, this temple that Solomon built gets destroyed. And then later and at the end of the Old Testament is where God raises up those new prophets and they come back and, and God gives the kingdom back to them and they rebuild the temple. Okay, and then that temple is the one that Jesus then teaches in, in his time. So again, God is telling him though, so we look forward, it's like, again, is, is God telling the truth here? He says, it'll last forever, so is God wrong? Right? No, God's not wrong. In fact, what God is telling us here is he is foreshadowing for us God's next phase of his plan. Okay, and the next phase of God's plan is a Messiah. Okay, and that's when the next phase of God's plan to redeem all of us, to get back into his unhindered presence, is through the Messiah that we believe is Jesus Christ. Right? In fact, God tells the prophets that in in Isaiah chapter 11 is one of the, the thousands of prophecies about the coming Messiah. Okay, Isaiah 11, 1 and 2 says, Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Again, we read these words looking back at it and saying, That is Jesus. Right, that the Messiah will be from David's line. Now, notice though, David's family is a, is a stump. It was cut off from ruling. But yet, out of that stump will come Jesus. Right, and it has been established forever, right, that kingdom. And now we know, again, that kingdom was not an earthly kingdom. It's exactly what Jesus told Pontius Pilate, right? My, my kingdom is not of this world. Right? And God continues to rule his kingdom today. It, it is forever. Again, this was a foreshadow of the next phase of God's plan. Right? And then he even expands further into that in verses 14 through 17. Okay, 2 Samuel 7, verse 14. He says, I will be his father and he will be my son. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with the rod like any father would do. But my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. So Nathan went back to David and told him everything the Lord had said in this vision. As we see here, as we know, again, God is, is showing David what his role is, what Solomon's role is going to be, how the Messiah is going to come through his line. And then here in these verses, is the third answer, when God tells him that he will establish an eternal covenant of grace. Remember, the first covenant, the covenant that God set up with Abraham and with the nation of Israel, right, was one of where you will do this and then I'll be with you, right? You'll sacrifice animals and you'll be atoned for your sin and I can be with you. But notice Israel, again, our whole pattern, right, they kept breaking the covenant and then they would get punished by God. And then God would reestablish the covenant, right? And they, they get better, and then they do something wrong, and they'd be thrown a, again into a tailspin again. 
Right? But here um, is the first mention of God moving toward grace in Israel's history. That's why this passage is so foundational in the overall story. Because this is the first time that God introduces the coming covenant of grace. Because again, what does he say in verses 14 and 15? Right? He says, again, they will be disciplined for their sin, yes but I will not banish my presence from them because they break the covenant. That is the definition of grace. Of getting something that we do not deserve. Right? And this is the first time in Scripture, in, in, in Israel's story, right, that we see a, a moving of God towards the new covenant of grace. Up until this point, God's presence and blessing was conditional on the first covenant. Now, I, don't, I do not believe it is a coincidence, but it is interesting that this very first mention of grace in the biblical story happens just a few chapters before the story of Bathsheba. That's not a coincidence. Yeah, David was not perfect, and we know he wasn't. Right? But yet God starts, this starts where the scales start to tip towards grace. Right, and we see again, just as God tells him, he says, your line will extend all the way to the Messiah. And again, we can fast forward, we know the story and believe that Jesus is the chosen Messiah, that God's even foreshadowing here. In fact, again, fast forward all the way to when the angel shows up to Mary and tells her that she's going to be the, the mother of the Messiah. Look what the angel tells her in Luke chapter 1, verse 31 through 33. It says, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Again, we see this foreshadowing of the Messiah, and then we see these words of God that comes through Nathan to David and his role come, come alive in a way that that we never could have imagined, right, in the story of Jesus. So as we see this concept, this, this idea, right, that God takes David's plans and says, nope, David, that's a good idea, but not for you. Right, your desires versus God's plan, and, and how David, with a man after God's own heart, like, accepts the role that God had for him. Right, and then as we see, goes through his life, and and leads throughout all of these years and leads Israel and accomplishes everything that God had for him to do. So how does the life of David help me in my faith journey today? There's a few concepts I want to point out. Number one is we know that we all have a unique role in God's plan. Right? David had a good idea, and it wasn't that it was a bad idea to build a temple. It was just the wrong timing. Right? And David had a unique role, and God says, that's a good idea, but you're not the one that's going to do it. Right, and so many times we have good ideas and we want to see them happen, but then God, God uses somebody else to accomplish it. Right, what's our reaction to that? It's hard. I can imagine it was hard for David to hear God say, nope, good idea, but not you. Right, but yet David lived into the role that God had for him. And he passed that baton on to Solomon to fulfill the role God had for Solomon. Again, this same thing is true for us today. Right, as followers of Jesus, as a part of the church, we all have a unique role. And God gives us gifts to accomplish the purpose he has for us. You know, Paul expands on this idea in Romans chapter 12. 
Okay, where he says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body. We all belong to each other. And in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Right? And no, you were created by God with your personality, with your spiritual gifts to, to be able to fulfill the role God has for you. And your role is unique to you. It's not my role, it's yours. And my role looks different than yours. But we all have a role to play. We all have a purpose to serve in God's church, in the body of Christ. Right? And we know that. Again, David and Solomon, they had very different roles. Okay, next, we see and know that God takes our plans and redeems them for his glory. Like David had plans. David had these good ideas. Like, God, I want to accomplish this. And, David, and God's like, nope, not you. Right? And he, turns, he flips his plans upside down. Right? And God takes our plans as well, and he redeems them, even if he's got to flip them upside down, right, for his plan and his glory. Now, does that mean we shouldn't make plans? No. We should have plans, but when we make our plans, we have to hold them with open hand and say, Lord, is this what you want me to do? Or do you want somebody else to do this, or maybe not at all? Right? We say, Lord, show me what my purpose is, what you need me to accomplish. God takes our plans, and he redeems them for his glory. Again, Jesus uses this concept in his teaching in Luke chapter 9. In verse 23 and 24, he says, Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Again, looking at these, these words of Jesus, at first you're like, Jesus, you're not making any sense. All right, if I hold on to it, how am I going to lose it? Right, but if I give it up, how am I going to find it? Like, Jesus, you're not making sense. And yet Jesus is telling us the same thing he told David. He's like, no, I'm going to take your plans, the ideas that you have, and I'm going to flip them upside down. Because it's going to be better if you do it my way as I flip it upside down. Right? Because when you give up your life, that's how you try, find real life and your real purpose and, and see my power unleashed in who you are and what I need you to do. Right? God takes our plans and he redeems them for his glory. And sometimes that even means he has to flip them upside down. And then thirdly, we see that God, and we need to understand in our lives, Right, that God is way bigger than the box we put him in with our own ideas and our own intentions. You know, we all have this idea of what God wants to do in our life or what he's going to accomplish or what we'd like to see God do. And, and so many times we see over and over and over again that we put God and our expectations of God in this little box when God is sitting back going like, I'm a lot bigger than that box. I do not limit me and limit his power by our own ideas and intentions. Again, God's plan for the kingdom and for David was way bigger than David expected. Right? And God's plan for you is way bigger than the box that it's so easily we put him in. Okay, as we think about this concept of, of limiting God in our lives and the box that we put him in, I want to show you this, this little kind of funny, humorous skit about putting God in a box. Ryan, hey, I saw you on the side of the road with that cop. What happened? Yeah, you got me going 30 over in a school zone. What? 
What? Are you crazy? Why would you do that? Well, obviously I was in a hurry. Uh, you must have got a huge ticket. Oh, no, because I had one of these. What is that? Well, this is my God in a box. I opened up the lid and uh, God took care of all my problems. He even had the cop apologize for pulling me over. <laughs> Seriously? I'm surprised that little thing worked. Oh, yeah. Works for me all the time. <laughs> no, that is dumb. Okay, tell him. Yeah, what you need is a super-sized God in a box, baby! Wow! I know! That's awesome! Yeah! Come on, you guys don't really think you can put God in a box. Well, of course. He's there for whenever you need him. But you need him all the time. Laura, you can't walk around town with God all hanging out and exposed everywhere. I mean, people would see that. Well, isn't that what being a Christian is? I mean, people need to see God. Okay, Laura, think about it like this. Let's say you and God go out to Burger Bonanza one night. You order a burger with no pickles, but they bring it out with pickles. Oh, I hate that. Okay, enough to ruin your night. So, at this point, you're going to want to tuck God back in the box, and then you raise your voice a little bit with the worker. And maybe the manager overhears you, and he comes and he fires the worker. And when everything's taken care of, you just pull God back out. He doesn't know any different. Have a good night. Nice. No, of course he knows differently. Listen, you can't just put God away when you don't want him there and then pull him back out when you do. It doesn't work like that. God wants a relationship with you all the time. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, what you're talking about is for perfect people like Jesus. And the Pope. Right, and Mother Teresa. I mean, we're normal people. Yeah, I don't even think I could live like that. So you're telling me you can live without God? Yeah. Can you live without God? Um, yeah, it's easy. Can you die without him? Can you die without him? Come on, guys. You can't live without him either. God's way bigger than the box you want to put him in. And when we define for God what parts of our lives he can be a part of and what parts can't be, we end up limiting God's power and stalling our own fate journey. That's exactly what Jesus teaches about in Matthew 17. Right? And he's talking to disciples and he says, you don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth, if you had faith even small as a mustard seed, you could stay this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. But if we put God in a box, then we know what's possible. Right? And we limit God, and we limit his power, and we limit how big he is and what he wants to accomplish in us and through us. And we saw, see, again, David did not put God in a box. Right? God looked at him and said, David, you got you to gotta let me out. Let me continue to work because i got a lot more to accomplish through you. Right? And, and God has a lot more to accomplish you as well. So as we look at this conclusion, this, this whole series of David and, and life, again, David was a man about whom God said, David, son of Jesse, is a man after my own heart, and he will do everything I want him to do. And as we think about that and we see in David what a heart after God really looks like through all of these different phases of his life, I want to extend to you this question, what kind of heart do you want? Do you want a heart that's focused on your plan or a heart that's focused on God? Do you want a heart that's 
about defining God and putting him in the box and just bringing him out when it's convenient or do you want a heart for God that unleashes his power in your life? Through this series, David has shown us what a heart after God really looks like. Right in week one, we saw that God looks and judges by our heart and not by our outward appearance. That The condition of our heart is a really big deal. In week two, we saw that with the right focus and with God's power, we can take down any giant that we face. In week three, we saw that God has a plan for our life and that God's timing is just as important as the end goal. In week four, we saw that there is no perfect person and that we can drift away from God's best and fall into sin. And then last week, we saw that true repentance is much bigger than just confessing our sin and that God can redeem any situation. And now today we see that we all have a role to play in God's plan to redeem the whole world and that God can do much more than we can even imagine if we let him work. Acts 13, 22. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and he will do everything I want him to do. Do you want a heart after God? Because you can have that. It starts by accepting Jesus as your Savior and being made new through the power of the Holy Spirit right, as he transforms our heart and adopts us into his family as we gain our salvation. And once you are a follower of Jesus, then it continues through your faith journey as you are transformed to be more like Jesus tomorrow than you are today as you continue to journey forward in your faith. I hope that you have a heart after God. And I hope that when we reach the end of our earthly lives, we can look back like David does and honestly say, I fulfilled everything that God gave me to do. Can we see that that was David's um, conclusion in these, these last words that he gives to his son on his deathbed? as he's already handed over the, the throne to Solomon. But I want to end with our series final thought with these final words of David to his son in 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, As the time of King David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son Solomon. I'm going where everyone on earth must someday go. Take courage and be a man. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all of his ways. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. That's good advice. That's advice from a man who led his life. It wasn't perfect, but looks back on his life and says, this is what I did and this is how I was successful. Son, do the same thing. Right, and that's how we all can have a heart after God. Lord God, that's our prayer today, Lord. We invite you to come into our lives. And God, to continue to transform our hearts. God, that we can dip our heart in the stream of life. God, that as we give up our life, as we take up our cross, as we die to our own plans, God, and say, Lord, we want your will. 
God, I pray that you continue to mold our hearts or to be a heart after you in everything that we do. Lord, we thank you, God, for transforming us, God, for loving us, God, for coming into our life, and God, giving us the direction and leading we need. God, as we go this week, I pray that we would live into our plan, Lord, that, that you've given us, Lord, that you would bless our plan, God, and that we would show, Lord, what the world, show them what it's like to live with you out of the box. But guide us as we go today, Lord, unleash your power in our lives. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.